first reading is from Isaiah chapter 53 and can be found on page 740 of your church Bibles or on the screen in front of you. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was opposed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offering and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear our iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the second reading is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 8, starting at verse 26, and you can find this on page 1101 in the Bibles beside you or up on the screen behind me. Acts, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out 
And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Pray for you, Mike. And last week we prayed for you through Rachel, that we did. Pray for Mike now, and that's all of us. Um, some of you want to come around and lay hands on Mike. I'm sure he'd be really appreciative of that and the encouragement. So come forward and um, just lay hands on this man who's our leader. Well, I'm wearing this jumper just so that you know if you ever see it on my son that actually belongs to me, okay, and he's borrowed it from me, it's not the other way around. I want to start with those words that I read from the communion service again. That prayer we prayed at the end. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Because that, as it turns out, is the theme of this passage and everything that I want to say to you. When we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Because if you ever think that God isn't interested specifically and particularly in you, 
this passage asks you to think again. If you think that your life has taken you far from God, beyond his love, this passage asks you to think again. If you ever think that you've had your chance and you've missed it, the Ethiopian says, that's not true. If you think that just doing your job is enough in life, that being busy and helpful, that's all you need, this passage says, turn again. The Ethiopian was about as far away from the love of God in Jesus as it's possible to be. He lived and worked in another country far, far away, a month of travel. He had to go down the Gaza Road, along around uh, the sea, um, around the top of Sinai and uh, across Saudi Arabia, and then he had to get to Egypt, and then from Egypt he had to go up the Nile, all the way up the Nile, and then he had to turn left along the Nile, um, the whichever Nile it is, past the Sudan, and he had to keep on going until he got to Ethiopia. In those days it was a huge distance away from Jesus and his church. And yet the Holy Spirit sought him out. He'd been in briefly in Jerusalem briefly, probably um, doing some international kind of business, some deals for Candace, his queen. And he turned again home and he'd missed the whole thing. He'd missed the whole show. But God sought him out. Given that we've been building up through these last weeks, um, focusing on the church as it spreads and moves, and particularly those last few weeks on uh, uh, those deacons who got appointed by the church to do that uh, important job um, of, uh, of healing ministry in the church as administrators, and then they kind of, because they were full of the Spirit, they spread out and they were involved in, in um, debate and uh, preaching and and revival we were hearing last week. So you're probably expecting me to kind of carry on with the story of Philip. But before we do that, I just want to talk with you first about this Ethiopian and God's pursuit of him. Perhaps we feel far from Jesus, born in the wrong family or the wrong country, the Ethiopian wasn't brought up as a Christian. He lived his life far, far away from Jesus and the early church, and yet the Holy Spirit sought him out. Perhaps we've been taught a different religion when we were young, or to be an atheist. The Ethiopian lived amongst a people who had all their own gods, but he knew that that wasn't enough. He knew that something bigger was calling out to him, reaching out for him. So it didn't stop Jesus calling to him. Perhaps we feel important and busy. Perhaps we're enticed by the gods of money, sex, and power. Perhaps we feel trapped on the rat race. The Ethiopian was more influential and more wealthy than any of us here. But that too wasn't enough for him. 
He sensed that life wasn't the sum of his influence, his possessions. And so Jesus was able to call out to him. He knew that keeping busy and useful wasn't going to be enough. So it didn't stop Jesus. Perhaps we feel trapped, a slave to inner compulsions or addictions, the circumstances of life, the whims of somebody else. This man was a slave. No matter how important his mistress was, he was still owned by her, lock, stock and barrel. He couldn't do anything without her permission. And that didn't stop Jesus from finding him. Perhaps we feel that something we have done in the past or something that somebody else has done to us is cutting us off, has cut us off forever from the love of Jesus, from God's love. This man was a eunuch. And the law of Moses, which he had been studying, said that he could never, ever come into God's presence because his body was defiled. But that didn't stop Jesus from stepping into his life and bringing the presence of God with him. Perhaps you think you've missed your chance. This man had been on business to the very epicenter of the Christian faith. He had been there for however long. He'd been there um, meeting and talking and uh, touching base with leaders. And yet he hadn't heard about this new Christian understanding of the Jewish faith. Possibly because he'd spent too much time talking with uh, national leaders who weren't very keen to talk about this embarrassing episode that was going on. So he missed the whole opportunity. And he left on his way back in the desert road. He's left Jerusalem. And he's on his way back far, far away. And even that didn't stop Jesus from reaching out to him. So what were the steps that he took which drew him to Jesus' attention and meant that he was ready to respond to Jesus' invitation when he heard it? Okay, the first thing was that he was ready to travel. He traveled a long, long way, as we've heard, to find God. Whether this was a business trip or whether it was a holiday, we don't know. But either way, we know that he saw this as an opportunity to come to Jerusalem the center of Jewish faith, and to worship there. Jesus saw his willing heart and responded. Secondly, he was ready to read scripture. He was rich enough to have bought a scroll of Isaiah in Jerusalem, or perhaps his high status meant that somebody had given it to him as a gift in honor of uh, his queen. But anyway, he didn't just leave it in the luggage train. He had it in the carriage with him, in the chariot. It was probably quite hard work reading it, you know, bumping along the desert road, but he, he was determined to read that scroll and see what light it threw on his life, on his sense of calling to find God. Jesus found him reading scripture and met him in it. Thirdly, he was ready to ask for help. He didn't understand the text, which is why I think he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't brought up a Jew. I think he had got this text and he was reading it 
himself for the first time. He was humble enough, anyway, to ask for answers. And Jesus sent Philip to supply them. Fourthly, he was ready to believe. When he heard about Christ, he knew that this was the person who had been calling out to him, who had been reaching out, who across all of those miles had been calling to his heart. His heart went out to Jesus in faith. And Jesus responded as he always does when anybody reaches out to him in faith. He answers and he embraces. He steps through. Despite the barriers of birth, of slavery, of wealth, of religion, the deformity of his body, Jesus, through Philip, welcomed this man into the presence of God the Father, into a new life where he would have the right forever to worship in freedom, in healing, and in joy. A member forever of God's chosen people and a child of God's family. Fifthly, he was ready to act. So Philip presumably has explained something about baptism. And this Ethiopian sees some water in the desert, probably a miracle in itself, and he says, well, let's do that thing you were talking about. Let me be baptized. And Jesus, through Philip, makes that possible. So Jesus seals in baptism what this man has received in faith, what he already knows in his heart. Which means that sixthly, this Ethiopian is ready for life. Although our passage ends here, his story does not. He carries on, travels on his way, rejoicing, presumably chuckling at the new insight and meaning that he is now finding in this passage that he's reading. And seventhly, that means he's ready to found a church. You can be absolutely sure that when he got back to Ethiopia, by the time he got there, he's already shared this experience with all the slaves, the, all the servants who are traveling with him. And the first thing he does is to share it with his mistress, the queen, what he has discovered. It's pretty likely that the origins of one of the oldest churches in the world can be attributed to the witness of this one man whom Jesus had pursued through his life, drawn to the city of his church and then met in the middle of the desert through the words of a man he had sent specifically to reach him. Whatever your past, whatever your background, whatever your faith or lack of it, whatever your sins or your hurts, if your heart is ready to meet with God, if you are crying to him to make sense of your world and to touch you in it, he will hear your cry. But you must play your part. You must be reaching out to him. You must be ready to hear him when he calls, ready to believe when you hear, and ready to act on the good news that you receive. Perhaps this very evening, Christ is calling to you. Perhaps you've traveled a very long way to be here tonight to meet with Christ. He is here to meet with you and to touch your heart.
to enable you to be ready to live your life in his life and to share and to grow and to blossom in the good news of his kingdom. So now let's look at the story of Philip. It will give us some insight into the kind of person which God chooses to use to bless his church and to grow his kingdom. Because Philip too was ready. Firstly, he was ready to serve wherever. Now Philip's first role was not a glamorous one, he was asked to be treasurer. I was hoping David was going to be here tonight, so I'll ask to take the message back to him. May not be a glamorous role, but you serve in it faithfully, and God has other big things in store for you. Secondly, he was ready to be faithful and committed in a new context. When he and other leaders of the church were driven out of Jerusalem by the persecution, he found himself in Samaria, and there wasn't much need for a treasurer there, so he threw himself with alacrity into the work of an evangelist. Thirdly, he was ready to stop what he was doing. Now, this is a man that God has been mightily blessing. The Holy Spirit has been working in power through. We were hearing last week, revival has broken out in Samaria, and he's having a whale of a time preaching to thousands. And God says, go to the desert road, the road where there is nobody. Leave what you're doing, leave your success, leave your great time here and go to somewhere hot and unpleasant and uncomfortable because I'm sending you there. And Philip was willing to leave what he was doing, to leave the good times and to go to the hot place, the desert place, the place where there was nobody, the place of thirst the place of dust and boring horizon, the place of fear, of bandits, the place that's far from what God is doing. And he went there because God sent him, just to meet one person. So fourthly, he's ready to go to an improbable place for whatever God has in mind. So this is not a good place to be for, a, for an evangelist, for a, for a street preacher, because they're in, there's nobody there. There's no audience to gather. But Philip goes because God, because God has asked him to go, trusting that God has a good enough reason. In fact, God had a serious job for him to do, as we've heard. He wanted him to catch somebody who had missed the show, and he needed a, a well-experienced evangelist for this conversation. Because this is an important person to God. This is a gatekeeper of a whole nation. And God has his eye on him. Jesus has spotted him and he wants somebody there. Sometimes it happens. You feel yourself urged to go somewhere and you go feeling foolish and stupid. And you sit and you find yourself meeting somebody you had no idea would be there. And they tell a story of how they were looking for you or how they needed to find Jesus, and you were there. If we are sensitive to the Spirit to go where he leads us, we can find ourselves in improbable places, but places which are exactly right for the purposes of God. This one conversation launched a church which 2,000 years later has millions of people 
who are still worshipping and testifying to Jesus in very grim times. Fifthly, Philip was ready to begin a conversation. It's pretty hard to share the gospel with somebody that you don't know if you don't talk to them. So you have to open the conversation first. And it's very difficult, I find, to have a conversation with somebody who's trundling along the road. You're kind of standing there and they've gone. So Jesus says, go and speak to the guy in that... Well, so, so Philip has to run to catch up with this chariot. And he's prepared to speak to the only person that's there and to go and talk with him. Sixthly, he's ready to ask questions. We find in Alpha that questions are a really, really good way of drawing people out rather than just labeling our opinions all over. Rather than launching in with the gospel, the question entices out something about the person that then gives us permission to speak. The Ethiopian's answer to Philip's question gives Philip then the permission to share his own story, his good news. Seventhly, Philip was ready to begin where the person was, where this Ethiopian was. The Holy Spirit gives Philip a wonderful um, opening line, just a fantastic starting point for preaching the gospel. This, is, this passage of Isaiah is like the one that most in the Old Testament most speaks about Jesus. There are umpteen different connections with the death of Jesus in this chapter. But in order to know that that was the opening that Philip had, he had to hear the Ethiopian reading it and he had to ask the question that enabled him then to speak about that, about that passage. Sometimes we feel we don't know where to begin with somebody. That's the time when we need to be praying hard and asking the questions and listening for their starting point, for their point of need. So eighthly, Philip was ready to use scripture. Our explanations can be clear and helpful, sure. But the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we should be using scripture as often as we can. Ninthly, Philip was ready to make the connection. In the days before chapters and verses, uh, what we have, the verses that we have quoted, are a way of saying that that's about where, that's about where in the scroll of Isaiah that, um, that the, uh, the Ethiopian was reading. Nowadays, we would say he was reading from chapter 53. So it doesn't just mean he was just reading these two verses. It means he was kind of reading around there. And those chapters are fantastic. They are full of a mission opportunity to speak about the Lord Jesus and about, um, about the kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. So, for instance, chapter 53, as I've said, is just crammed full of references to Jesus and his death and sacrifice. Chapter 54 talks of the new covenant, the new promise between, um, between God and man worked out in Jesus. Chapter 55 speaks about the new creation, which we find in the resurrection of Jesus and beyond. And chapter 56 talks of, wait for it, eunuchs. And they're welcome 
into the kingdom of God. Isn't that fantastic? That the Holy Spirit had drawn this man's attention to the very part of Scripture that would most powerfully speak to him of his need being met through the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Philip was able to pick up on that very passage and the scriptures that flowed on from it and to explain the good news. The good news for this man of Jesus' healing love for him. And tenthly, finally, Philip was ready to turn talk into action. Clearly, Philip, as I've said, had explained that there's something about baptism and this is a kind of good way of, you know, of marking your, your new life, your starting point in Christ. So there's something for the Ethiopian to do rather than just talking together. And when the Ethiopian suddenly sees the water and takes him up on, his, on this and says, guys, uh, shouldn't, you know, shouldn't we, shouldn't we stop now and... I could get baptized. Let's do this thing. Philip is ready to help him. He doesn't respond, ah, perhaps we just should just head back to Jerusalem and see if we can find an apostle. No, he is ready to baptize him there and then. And this is harder for Philip than you might think. You might just think, oh, hey, you know, baptism, anyone can do that to anybody. But that's where we stand, the other end of the story. At this point, for Philip, nobody's even been preaching in Samaria before, except that Jesus was. Okay, so he's kind of creatively pushed that boundary, but he had Jesus's, he had Jesus's um, uh, lead for that. But now he's about to baptize somebody who is not a Jew, who is from far away, who is a slave and a eunuch, against all of the taboos of the law. And he's trying to ask himself, is this the right thing for me to do now? If the eunuch had asked, is it right, you know, is it okay for me to become a Jew? The clear and obvious answer from the law is no, you can't, it's too late. But his question is, is there anything to stop me getting baptized? And when Philip thinks through his gospel, his understanding of the Lord Jesus, and what Jesus did on earth amongst those he met, he takes himself to the logical conclusion which it will require the Holy Spirit and three dreams to get through to Peter and Cornelius in a couple of chapters' time. And he says, no, you know what? I don't think there is. Let's get out there and do that thing. And so he's ready to take that brave step of turning talk into action. Okay, ten quick points on uh, Philip and his readiness to go. Here's a bonus point for you. Because Philip was also ready to move on. We so want to know what happens in the story, don't we? We want, to, we want to be there and continue that story. But Philip hears from the Spirit that it's time to move on to the next thing. 
And so he's willing to let him go off to Ethiopia. There is no church in Ethiopia. There's, there's nobody doing Alpha there. He can't give him an email address and say, get in touch. He's sending him alone into the future. But he's got his baptism. He's got his profession of faith. He's got his scripture. And presumably, if um, Philip has learnt the lesson correctly from last week that we were hearing, he's got the Holy Spirit as well, as Philip was learning from the disciples in Jerusalem to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so this man is setting off into the future, rejoicing with his newfound faith and the Holy Spirit to keep him on the right track and to found the church site. The Spirit wants there far from all apostles and evangelists just to use the church, each new person stepping out into their life. Often we will never know what happens to the people that we speak with. We just have to say goodbye and entrust them to the Holy Spirit. As long as we are with people, new Christians, then of course we want to share scripture with them, pray with them, draw them into the church, help them as best we can. But it's not necessarily good for a new Christian to have just the one of us as their only friend and guide. And so sometimes we just have to let go and let the Holy Spirit take them on to wherever he wants to take them. And we have to go on to the next task to which God is calling us. So how does all of that apply to us? Well, I hope you've seen that all of those points apply very simply and easily to us in our own sharing of faith in our life. I've never been a great one for trying to uh, uh, go to a train station and, um, and uh, find somebody on a platform and just buttonhole them with the gospel. Um, I'm not very good at that. I guess Jesus would probably have sent somebody else on that particular mission. But I have found that if we are prepared to stop reading our book and to talk to the person next to us in the train and find out about their story and ask them those questions, that sometimes Jesus-inspired conversations do start. And we get the opportunity to share something of our faith and to bless them with the gospel as they travel on to who knows where, only the Spirit can tell. I think it's fascinating that the Ethiopian was an international financier and that Philip has just come from being treasurer to the local church. So he's, he's just had some kind of tricky social um, accounting issue that he's had to deal with. So there's kind of more common ground than he might have been expecting with this man from the far end of the world. And it is amazing how very often the Holy Spirit will put us into contact with people with whom we have a huge amount in common that we had no idea about. We will find that, you know, we shared the same job or we even maybe know the same people, astonishingly. The Holy Spirit can very often usher together, brilliant logistics manager that he is, people who have lots in common that give them the starting point for the common ground of the gospel. 
So if we're praying for opportunities, we will often find that God orchestrates meetings that take us to places that we didn't guess that we could go. If we will just take the trouble to ask the questions. So I want to encourage you out of this experience of Philip and what he was able to do for that man in his need and in his quest. I want to encourage you to be praying, to be faithfully working away in your current ministry, praying for yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you to be faithful where you're ministering currently, asking to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be praying for opportunities, and to be ready when God brings you in contact with people to share something of your life and something of your faith. But of course, if you're still feeling nervous, as I said, Alpha is a great opportunity for all of this, to find out about Jesus and to share your faith with others. We're not starting uh, Alpha just yet a little while, but when it starts again, do. Well, come and, have a, come and have a word with me before then and say you'd like to be part of the team, and we'll join you into that team. And that's a great opportunity to work at, practice at, talking with people about your faith, as Philip did. And then you'll have the privilege and the thrill of being used by God in significant ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way